Welcome to the Bliss Angle. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bliss Angle. I'm Alex Pavlov from the Bliss Institute of Applied Politics here at the University of Akron. And joining us today on the Bliss Angle is Dr. John Green from the Bliss Institute and uh, the University of Akron. Today we'll be discussing minor parties uh, and the role of uh, American politics as well as their role in 2016. So, Dr. Green. Well, thank you, Alex. It's good, good to be here. You know, I get asked all the time about why does the United States have a two-party system? Given how large the country is, how diverse it is, all the different issues that people care about. And, you know, more homogeneous countries, smaller countries, often have a multi-party system, three or four uh, significant parties. And the, the simple answer is that the United States actually has lots of political parties too, but only two of them ever win, right? The Democrats and the Republicans, which is why they're called major parties. And there are a number of reasons why only the two major parties win in the United States. One is just the nature of our electoral system. It has a kind of fancy name. It's called the first-past-the-post party system, where the, the candidate that gets the most votes wins. You don't necessarily have to have a majority. And that particular arrangement, which exists in some other countries as well, tends to discourage minor parties. In fact, it's so good at discouraging minor parties that in many parts of the United States, there was really only one party, whether it's the Democrats or the Republicans, even the other major party uh, can't compete very much, uh, very effectively. But of course, if you're a Republican in a Democratic area, you can still vote for a Republican presidential candidate. You can still be part of the broader party system at the national level. And there are a couple of other reasons. Part of it's just tradition. We Americans uh, have a tradition of, of two major parties and Minor parties matter, and independent candidates, but, but really as a protest of one kind or another against uh, the major party candidates. And then minor party people will tell you that the rules of the game, whether it's the actual electoral laws or how uh, the media covers candidates, things like who gets to participate in national debates, these things are biased in favor of major parties and against minor parties. So if you put that all together, an electoral system that um, really creates a, a two-party system plus history, tradition, and some rules that are, that are biased towards the major parties, it helps explain the dominance of uh, the major parties. Now through most of our history, the uh, major parties have been the Republicans and the Democrats, but prior to the Civil War, there were first the Federalists and then the Whigs who were the alternative to the Democrats. And so you can see that two-party structure going all the way back to the beginning of the Republic. Historically speaking, uh, have there been occurrences where third parties have been able to crack kind of that two-party mold? Well, at the national level, no minor party or independent candidate's ever been elected president. Although a couple of candidates, Theodore Roosevelt, former Republican president in 1912, did very well. Uh, Ross Perot, in more recent times, in the 1992 election, uh, did really well for an alternative to the major parties. But if you get below the national level, if you get down to the state and local level, there have been a fair number of examples of members of Congress, of governors, of uh, other state officials, mayors who have been elected 
uh, other than being in the Democratic or the Republican Party. But you know the, the alternatives to the two parties, what we often call third parties, but sometimes there's a fourth and a fifth party, really come in different varieties. Uh, the most common is a reaction against the major party candidates. Think about Ross Perot in, in 1992, where there was a real sense among a lot of people that neither the Republicans or the Democrats could deal with the economic problems facing the country. And, and Ross Perot offered himself as sort of the radical centrist. He has kind of a strange set of words, but that's the way he offered himself. In 1980, uh, President Carter, the incumbent, was very unpopular, but a lot of people were unsure of Ronald Reagan, you know, former actor, came from California, just weren't sure about him. And so um, a former Republican congressman from Illinois, John Anderson, ran as an independent candidate. Um, Reagan ended up winning, but, but part of that, just like with the Ross Perot phenomenon, it was an alternative to the major parties, because there was a perception that the major parties weren't doing a very good job. And, and another famous example is in 1968, when uh, former governor of Alabama, George Wallace, ran on the American Independent Party ticket. And there he was really protesting the civil rights movement. And he and his followers felt that both the Democrats and the Republicans were not being sufficiently responsive to the concerns of the South and of white working class people who, I mean, I don't know anybody who, in retrospect, is opposed to the civil rights movement, but at the time, there was opposition, and many uh, working class people and, and rural people in the South were really bearing the brunt of that change, and it was very disconcerting to them. So that's the most common kind of alternative. And you know, that a lot of people ask about that this year, because here, a couple of weeks before the national conventions, poll after poll shows that both the likely Democratic candidate, uh, Secretary Clinton and the likely Republican candidate, Donald Trump, have very high negatives. Many people who may actually be, end up voting for them don't care much for them. They see them as, uh, as, as having some real liabilities. Interesting. Uh, with those high negatives for, for uh, the major party candidates, do you see an analogy there to any of those um, historical instances where third parties uh, were able to wage more major stand uh, than they had previously? Well, there are some, some similarities um, between the current situation and some of the instances in, in the past. And, and in some ways, the, the best example is the 1912 presidential election, where an incumbent Republican president, William Howard Taft, was running for re-election, but he was really identified with business and what today we would call conservatives, but that word wasn't really used back in those days to quite the same extent. Sometimes they were referred to as the old guard, strong um, a traditional base of the Republican Party. But his predecessor in office, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, um, was a, a progressive. And the Democratic candidate, Woodrow Wilson, was a progressive. And so there was a, a, an argument uh, among the voters as to, well, you know, we'd really like to vote for a, pre a progressive candidate, but from which party? And so. Um, uh, Theodore Roosevelt actually founded a new party, called it the Bull Moose Party, the Progressive Party, to uh, push those ideas forward. But you know, there are some real differences between, at least as of the moment, between Clinton and Trump, in that a lot of the negatives come from personal dislike. As best we can tell, we didn't have opinion polls, but as best we can tell back in 1912, most Americans, even people who didn't vote for President Taft, 
nonetheless kind of liked him and admired him. He was, after all, the president. And uh, Woodrow Wilson, who'd been the president of Princeton University and also been the governor of New Jersey, was, was admired, and so was Theodore Roosevelt. So these were ideological differences, issue differences. They were personal differences. You know, Donald Trump, whether one likes him or not, does seem to have a gift at irritating people. And of course, Secretary Clinton's been in American politics for a long time, and as happens to people who've been around a long time, she's collected a good bit of baggage. So there's a personal element to this difference um, that, that maybe we haven't seen before. Fascinating. What effect can minor party candidates have on the outcome of the general election? Well, minor party candidates at the national level have never won. But we've had plenty of examples, even some examples that, that aren't that well known, where even though they couldn't win themselves, they could determine who would win. A real good example of that was in the 2000 election when uh, Ralph Nader was running as the candidate for the Green Party, and some pretty clear evidence that the votes he got in Florida basically cost Al Gore not only the state of Florida, uh, but the election. Of course, there were in a lot of ballot disputes in, uh, in the year 2000, that was the year of the hanging chat <laughs> in Florida, and you know that's a whole controversy in of itself. But there's really reason to believe that if Nader had not been on the ballot, a sufficient number of his uh, of uh, Nader's voters would have voted for Gore, and and therefore Gore would have won Florida and the presidency without having to worry about hanging chads and other ballot irregularities. But a lot this depends a lot state by state, and it's important to remind everybody that as interesting as national polls are. We don't elect the president of the United States at the national level. We elect them state by state. And different candidates can play differently in different states. Um, the state of Ohio, because it's so close and competitive and also so diverse, is a place where minor party candidates of one kind or another can take votes away from the Democratic and Republican candidates and oftentimes determine who actually wins the election. In 1992, it is widely believed that in Ohio, maybe not nationally, but in Ohio, that Ross Perot cost George H.W. Bush Ohio. It's very, very close. Uh, Bill Clinton ended up winning the state. But in Ohio, Ross Perot drew more from the Republican side than from the Democratic side. Very interesting. Um, so we have some polling data in front of us. Uh, Quinnipiac released uh, their swing state presidential poll on Monday. Um, and so let's let's dive into that and see how um, minor parties are affecting the spread here in Ohio in the 2016 election. Well, you know, it's really interesting. We have two um, significant minor party candidates, um, the Libertarian Party candidate, a former governor of New Mexico, Johnson, and actually a former Republican governor of, of New Mexico, and then Jill Stein, who's an environmental activist for the Green Party. Now, the Libertarians and the Greens are a little bit different than what we usually think of as third-party or independent candidates because they're tied to an ongoing party structure that has its own platform. In the case of the Libertarians, uh, that party and its activists have a very strict approach to limited government, limited government in economic matters, foreign policy matters, and also with regard to social and cultural issues. The Green Party has a very comprehensive view of the environment. And among many environmental activists, that affects their views on all issues, right? It's a, it's a kind of consistent worldview. 
Um, and the Libertarian Party's been very well organized in Ohio for quite some time and regularly runs candidates at the congressional and state legislative level. And occasionally they even win. Not that often, but they can have a, have a big impact. Um, the Green Party is not as well organized in Ohio, but if you think of issues like global warming and fracking and uh, water pollution, and there's a lot of concern about those issues. And so there's some real potential uh, for both of those candidates to draw away votes from the major party candidates. And the mo most recent Quinnipiac poll shows some examples of that. You know, if you just look at Trump versus Clinton, it's basically even, 40% each. And, you know, these days we tend to think of Ohio as a 40-40-20 state, right? 40% Democratic or leading Democratic, 40% similarly uh, Republican, and then 20% that's, that's kind of in the middle. But if you throw in the minor party candidates, you see some differences. For instance, uh, the Libertarian candidates polling around 8%. They're pretty good for a Libertarian candidate in a presidential election. Um, probably taking a few more votes away from Donald Trump than from Hillary Clinton, but you know there are uh, it, uh, small L Libertarians in both political parties who might find uh, Governor Johnson very appealing. Uh, Jill Stein doing a, a little bit uh, a lower level around 3%, which quite good, by the way, for for a Green Party candidate in, in Ohio, she seems to be drawing mostly from the Democratic side. So when you factor all of that in with, with people's choices, um, it goes from 40-40 to 38-36 with a, a slight 2% lead uh, for Hillary Clinton. Now, of course, the campaign hasn't really begun yet, and so it'll be interesting to see how that would play out um, after the, the convention. So you can see an example there of how these ideological party candidates, the Libertarians or the Green Party, may actually be able to determine who wins Ohio. Um, it's more important for the Republicans to win Ohio than the Democrats, but both parties would love to win the Buckeye State. Is it plausible we'll see another name added to this list uh, before we vote in November? Is it, is it plausible we'll see a Ross Perot type uh, kind of come up as, as their own independent candidate to add on to Governor Johnson and then Jill Stein and uh, Secretary Clinton, Mr. Trump. Oh, it's it's entirely possible. You know, the, the minor party independent candidates face one enormous hurdle, and that's ballot access. The major parties get automatic ballot access for their presidential candidates. Um, Well-organized ideological parties like the Libertarians have a mechanism for getting ballot access, and they frequently are, are on the ballot. But if um, a very wealthy person, say a Ross Perot or um, a former mayor Bloomberg of New York, uh, or even a, a major party figure like uh, Joe Biden or uh, Mitt Romney, if they wanted to run, they would not only have to raise all the money to run a presidential campaign, but they'd also have to raise a lot of money, mobilize a lot of activists to get on the ballot in enough states where they could win. They don't have to actually be on every state ballot. They have to be on enough so they can be plausible uh, winning the Electoral College. You know, early in the, this presidential season, there was a lot of worry among many people, Republicans and others, that Donald Trump was going to be that guy, right, was going to take his wealth and he was going to run as an independent candidate, kind of a latter-day Donald Trump, if you will. But then when he started to do well on the Republican primary, then other candidates started talking about, well, maybe, maybe we'll do that. And there's been a 
a real effort among certain elements of the Republican Party to recruit someone like a Mitt Romney or, or someone of similar caliber to run to be the real Republican. These are people who are not very comfortable with Donald Trump. Some of that's, frankly, issue-based. They, they just don't think he'd be a very good president. But some of it's very practical. They're afraid that a Trump candidacy would hurt a down-ticket Republican candidates. The interesting point there is a serious independent candidate might hurt down-ticket Republican chances as well. Uh, you know, Mayor Bloomberg talked about running for a while. Uh, you know, he's been a Democrat, a Republican, and independent. He's also very, very rich, also from New York. <laughs> um, but he um, decided not to do it. And his argument was, based on his polling, he would mostly take votes from Hillary Clinton. And as he put it in a news conference, he didn't want to elect the next Republican presidential candidate, which just illustrates the kind of impact that independent and minor party candidates can have on the outcome. Well, fascinating. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today on The Bliss Angle and discussing minor parties with us. Uh, we look forward to our next podcast with you. Thank you very much.